0: what's going on guys welcome to another episode of eastern current i've got my good friend john Mauser on here tonight i'm going to introduce y'all to him in just a second before we get to that definitely uh go check out ice strike fishing make great uh tackle uh they're out of charleston south carolina or mount pleasant south carolina um check out uh marshware and Afto as well two great clothing companies and uh check out our facebook group check us out on instagram check us out everywhere just check us out and uh Today, we're going to just kind of get into it. Me and John are going to talk about, um, we're a couple hours apart on the, on the North County coast, and so we're going to talk about kind of our differences that we see um, between, our, between the Wilmington area and up where he is. Uh, kind of talk about some redfish and some other stuff, so we're excited to have him on. But what's going on, John? Thanks for coming on, man.
1: Hey, Judd. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We've talked about
0: that. It seems like w- once a year for like the past three years, I've like, been like, God, I've got to have John on. I text him, and then we never make it happen. And then finally... We're making it happen, so that's right. Awesome. Well, how you been?
1: I, I've been doing fantastic, um, extremely busy, but it is July, so uh, I guess you should be busy this time of year. But no, everything's been good, family's been healthy, and uh, fishing's been pretty good. Awesome.
0: So, awesome. How has uh, this weather we kind of had the, the past little bit affected y'all there?
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna uh, rewind that back where I said fishing's been pretty good. We've actually. Um, we probably, we struggled a little bit for the last couple of days after Elsa where yeah. we, we had, a, I'm not sure when this is going to play, but we had a tropical storm, uh, like seven days ago and it just, um, the past six weeks it's been, we have like a monsoon and then it's doesn't rain for like six or seven days and the water clears up and then we get rain and then it clears up and then, but Elsa dumped a lot of, lot of rain and, and really turned the surf up. So we've dealt with a lot of muddy water and, um, been a little bit harder than normal the early morning bite's been good on redfish but um we've had to you know i'm i'm very much a fly guy and a and a like a top water uh walk the dog type guy so we've had to you know strip it down and go to some some more basic stuff like popping corks and bait uh with that dirty water the fish being a little pickier, but starting to pick back up and hopefully in the next couple days it'll be uh back to normal summertime fishing here
0: for sure man that's it's funny how It seems like sometimes we get a storm and it'll get a little dirtier, flush it a little bit and it'll like be really good right afterwards, sometimes we'll get storms, it'll mess it up. It's always kind of, you know, I'm always curious to see what it's going to do. Because like the the right amount of a little bit of rain and cooling the water off can like fire things up and sometimes it does the exact opposite, so. um, And and we were talking before the show, uh, it seems like it kind of cleaned up down here a little bit quicker than it cleaned up up there for you. what what do you you were kind of hinting at maybe the fact of, of how the coastline's different you know a little bit more south facing that's kind of what does that as far as y'all get hit a little bit harder by that storm
1: yeah i think um you know our beaches so i'm basically fishing swansboro to cape lookout and the crystal coast area it's it's predominantly just a south-facing beach so in the fall and the winter time it's fantastic because you get your northeast winds predominantly and it's like a lake out there and you can you know you can fish a flat skiff off the beach in the summertime though, with the south or southwest winds, we've always got more winds coming on shore. Um, you know, it's you're dealing more with, you know, three-footers, five seconds apart on average down here in the summertime. And usually, you know, near shore, it might get a little bit muddy after a storm, but it clears up pretty well. But I think uh, I think it just kinda mudded everything up pretty good. The Spanish turned off uh, for a few days. are starting to pick up as it's cleaning up. The uh, Normally for me, if I can get close to an inlet, if we're fishing for redfish, you know, in the marsh behind the inlets, within eye side of the inlet on an incoming tide, that water gets very clear for us. I, I call it Gatorade water, basically that blue and green water that yeah. comes in. It uh, we just hadn't seen it in the last few days, but hopefully it'll it'll turn back around for us soon and start to clean up.
0: It's always so nice when you're, you know, you know, you're getting a big flood tide or something like that and you run past the inlet and you've got that green, anvil, green water coming in. It looks yeah. Weird. People are always like, man, this looks like when we were in the Keys. This water's so clean.
1: It's yeah, it's, cool. it, it, it's so weird here because, you know, we can be going down the intercoastal waterway and say we're heading south and we hook a right into the uh, the mainland area. And those creeks, I mean it can look like chocolate milk yeah and, and we're you know we're in six inches of water trying to see the red fish's back from an inch under the surface to be able to even see that fish. And then we can you know zoom out and five minutes later we're behind the barrier islands and you can see three four foot down yeah and it's, it it doesn't take you know more than I don't know 500 yards difference to go from chocolate milk to crystal clear water around here just depending on where the runoff is and where the where the inlets are.
0: It's funny how unaffected by like heavy winds or like, uh, excessive rain, how those two different types of water kind of can live so close to each other without affecting each other. Like it can be just the way that the tides move. You can have that dirty water really close to that clean water without it blending much. Um, uh, we see that in some of the areas down here as well. Uh, it's kind of weird, like Wilmington area, or let's say like Wrightsville beach figure eight tops beach where I am down here. Um, is like smack dab in the middle of two coastal rivers, but it's far enough away from the New River and the Cape Fear that you really don't get too much freshwater influence. You've got some creeks and whatnot that come out. Do you all have any bigger tributaries that are that are predominantly pumping a little bit more freshwater in, in in that area?
1: The I mean the bigger ones we have is just north of where I fish is the White Oak River, and yeah. then just south of where I fish is um, it's the New River, mm-hmm. and you know, so you'll get a lot of freshwater from there. But a lot of the dirty water we see is just all these mainland creeks. We've got creeks that you can, you know, they may snake a quarter to three quarters, maybe even a mile back into the woods. You know, a lot of this is like on Camp Lejeune, basically south of Oh, Wilming- sorry, south of Swansboro. Yeah, it, it's just there's just so much runoff. I think that just comes off the land there and all the farmland, and and it's just. That is just super, super dirty. I yeah. mean, it literally—it's like it either looks like root beer, or it looks like chocolate milk, and on a good day, it looks like sweet tea. Right. You know, a bad day, like you can't see anything in it. And so it's—it's it's not so much those the big freshwater influences, and I don't think the salinity changes that much. It's just all—it's there's so many of those mainland creeks. It's you know, it may be every 500, every thousand yards, there's a small creek, and and all the mainland's draining off of that and that rolls right into the ICW.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Uh, we get we've got, I don't, that's my, every episode I have like something that I say a bunch and I said tonight, tonight it's, it's crazy. But I'm, I'm conscious of it tonight. So it's annoying me. But, um, I used to say at the beginning of the podcast, people always made fun because I say, I like it all the time. I was like, I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, we've got a bunch of those, those, uh, coastal or those inland creeks as well. And I, I don't fish, a lot of our inland creeks that are close to where I am, that are worth, you know, poking around in, are very heavily covered with houses. And so it's something I don't mess with much in the summer, a lot of boat traffic going in and out of them. Um, but but in the wintertime especially, like, those those can kind of shine in the winter when that's a little bit dirtier bottom and the the uh, water stays maybe a little bit warmer. Um, do you find yourself fishing those those creeks that cut in a little bit in the summertime much?
1: Year-round. Year-round um, nice pretty equally year round So what we have is, you know, we're a little bit lucky because I can turn out like the local boat ramp that's right down the road from my house and I can run about a mile or two. And then we're on the military base on Camp Lejeune. And, you know, besides hearing artillery fire and cannons going off and automatic rifles, other than that, it's like a wildlife refuge. There's no houses, there's no development, uh, which I'm very thankful for. So we've got, you know, a good 10 miles of of intercoastal waterway, um, barrier islands, salt marsh, and those mainland creeks that there's no development. And once you get down there and and get away from downtown, there's, there's not near, there's still a lot of boat traffic, but nothing compared to being closer to the areas where the houses and and the boat ramps and things like that. So there's a, there's less pressure. Um, and I like fishing those creeks. I fish more of those creeks for my fly anglers or anglers who want to sight cast because, then when those creeks and all the little bays and stuff on the mainland side, when they drain out like 80% of the hiding space for the redfish and flounder and everything in there is gone, you know, it's just that main channel that runs in there. So, you know, fishing a low tide or a lower tide, we can, we can pull up those creeks and it's hard to miss the fish because all the fish have kind of drained out of all those basins, all those bays, and they've dropped down in that main Creek. They may be more spooky yeah. uh, and more aware of us, but, we get those shots we actually get to see those fish versus you know if i have a spinning rod angler who can cover more ground with something that has flash and noise and vibration and scent you know we may go fish the cleaner water in those bigger bays because we can cover a lot of ground but i summertime fall winter and spring i'll I'll fish those mainland creeks they can be fantastic in the winter time for for the schooled up redfish and the water's a little bit clearer there yeah you get uh, a little bit of the
0: tea color man.
1: Yeah, you get, yeah, it's, a little it's more consistently. <laughs> it's not, it's never crystal clear on the mainland side, um, even in the wintertime, but it's, it is like a, uh, a, a diluted tea color. We'll yeah, call it that. And, yeah. Like Are a tobacco fish? juice
0: spit. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, I think that ours would fish like that as well. Um, if we didn't have the docks in them and, you know, you get to the back of some of them and, and there's some scenarios like that down here, but for the most part, a lot of it's covered up with docks, unfortunately, but that, what you're explaining is a lot of our, like our lower Cape fear river fishes. Um, cause it's, we've got a lot of, it's, I mean, it's a pretty much the same type of, and, and I, I also think like in those scenarios where you get that little bit more brackish, you have a lot of shrimp. I think that has a decent amount of like, uh, play with how those redfish act too. They'll kind of get up shallow on those banks and belly crawl and l- a little bit. And at least that's what I see down in the Cape fear river. Um, and that's always fun for, you know, a flat client. Like, every every site fisherman wants to be, like, are we going to see them tailing today? Like, they want to see tailing fish. And so yeah. um, 24-7. 24-7. They always tail. That's what they do here in North Carolina. They're always tailing.
1: Um, well, sweet. Thinking, real quick, the, yeah. the other thing, those, those smaller mainland creeks that we fish year-round, one of the things that most people probably don't think about, but really makes for a good creek versus a not-so-good creek like that is, it's in the ones that have the holes in them and the sloughs in them. So you may have a, you know, a Creek that goes back a half mile or three quarters of a mile. And and if it all drains out and, and there's only six inches of water in there at the most at low tide, it's probably not going to hold those fish, but we've got a lot of those creeks that may have two, three, four holes that, you know, they may only be the size of a swimming pool, but at low tide, when everything else is six inches deep, they hold, you know, it may only be 12 inches, maybe 24 inches of water, but those fish will stay in there, you know, for, months at a time i find that those fish in those mainland creeks will stay there longer than fish that are in like the bays behind the barrier islands whereas those fish are kind of a little bit more transient yeah. in the summertime those fish will hold longer in the summertime forest in the in the mainland creek so um that's one of the things that i do like about that you can basically you can go into a creek and if you fished it a few times you'll know at low tide where those fish will will sit in those holes
0: yeah for sure for sure Let's talk a little bit about uh, if you are fly fishing for fish um, in your area. Do you have any specific, because it's it's a question I know you get it a lot, probably with your clients before you take them out or just people that you're talking to. Um, What kind of flies do you like to throw? What's your kind of go-to pattern um, for for redfish in our area?
1: Um, I think think it varies more, you know, it varies depending on the clarity of the water and it depends on, you know, are we more blind casting area where we see fish, puffing around and waking or are we sight casting fish like on a tailing tide um you know if we're actually sight casting fish and and whenever we're like if the fish are tailing and we're seeing fish and the water's clear and the fish are looking stuff um just generally smaller buggy patterns i don't have any specific crab or specific patterns that i like but when you start thinking about things like quans and things like that that you know they may have a combination of eyes and legs and they are weighted towards the eye of the hook so they sit in a you know a fighting position like this right just things that kick in those cues or that instinct of that redfish and those are like your, your more natural colors um if we're fishing in and those will work in clear water in the larger bays too if we're fishing in that dirtier water really it's all about getting that i don't think those fish are nearly as picky it's just something that they can see yeah so um, this summer we've been fishing a lot of like small gold spoons and i mean like size of your thumb, you know, the, the full part of your thumb, just little gold spoons that have a little bit of vibration and kick to them. Um, we'll fish um, a lot of like uh, copperhead style flies that have yeah. a lot of flash in them. Uh, just anything to catch the light in that dirty water. I mean, you know, we'll throw a pink and chartreuse clouser if we have to, like they'll eat those in the middle of the summertime. So it really varies. Uh, if the water's got some clarity to it, uh, we'll fish a lot of solid black flies, mm-hmm. uh, like bunny strip flies and things like that. Um, so it's, it's really all over the board for me, you know, I tell the anglers that 95% of it is finding the fish that's willing to eat that you haven't already, you know, made your presence known and spooked it and then presenting that fly correctly. You know, I, I think you could probably pick a handful of flies and a certain redfish would eat it in that scenario as long as he can see it yeah, and it's, for sure. stripped, it's you know, stripped in a direction and a manner that he thinks it's actually a bait fish. And he doesn't know that you're standing right on top of his head. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, it really is, for redfish at least, 99% presentation. It's where you put it and how you move it. Yeah. Um, and, and there's times where the color can, can be a big difference. But, um, yeah, and that's, that's kind of what I always end up sharing too. It's like, but everybody wants to know. It's like, what lures do you like to throw for them? What flies do you like to throw for them, But it, it really comes down to presentation. Uh, and I think a lot of times it's for those people that aren't on the water as much as we are, that are like getting more into like the, the gear side of it. I mean, sure. I'm into the gear side of it, but, but you're sitting there, you're like, I want to make sure that everything I've got is going to give me the best opportunity when I'm finally out there on the water. Um, you know, as opposed to, you and I, I'm like, I'll pop on a white sea like, today, oh, let's see what happens. They're like, I'm going to pop on a I natural, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's, you kind of start to realize it's more being there at the right time and, and letting the fish feel like they found it. So um, tell me about these small gold spoons you're talking about. Because I, I love fishing a gold spoon. Is is there a specific brand that makes these smaller ones? Oh, gosh. Um, I wish you hadn't asked
1: me that. So I hang tight. Okay. Yeah, hey, hey,
0: you're good. So I think John is running to grab us a small gold spoon to show us. but um. We'll see what time, and we'll see how long it takes to be back. For those of y'all that are listening and not watching, that is what's going on right now.
1: I'm back. Dang, that was quick. So there, I, yeah, I ran off and realized I didn't know where they were. Um, I don't I honestly don't know what these spoons are. A client gave me a handful of them uh, a couple months ago, and I, I've seen I've seen them online before, but I'm not sure. But let's see if I can. So. Oh, those are sweet. Yeah. So they've got, I mean, this it's about two inches long. It's just got a really good wobble to it. It's got lead eyes in it, so it sinks pretty quick. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's what I've been I thinking. like that it's, the weight
0: that those lead eyes are back there like that. Like, I feel like it would help that thing ride correctly. Um, I've seen those spoons weighted so many different ways, you know, and um, I think I like that, that the eyes back there. I'm imagining it would kind of, you know, as it falls down, would sit and, and kind of kick up off the bottom,
1: like Yeah, a little pop, it, pop, it, pop. It, Yep. It's got a great wobble. Spoon flies are one of like two or three flies that I refuse to tie because I, I hate tying them. I I, I never get them right. I never get the wobble right. Game changers, things like that, that are like, if they're in my box, that's because somebody gave them to me. And that was just one of those situations. And, um, they're a little bit tougher to throw, especially if somebody's not used to throwing something that's real wind resistant. It's like tossing a wiffle ball through the air. But, um, they've been producing and, and they work great in dirty water but i'll be honest on a high tide and um not a tailing fish scenario but you know i call it loose grass that floods with yeah, the I mean, edge will sit in it high tide and six inches of water they're eating it in crystal clear water too so yeah um this is one of my confidence flies right now and you know it's probably going to be on one of the two rods in the boat and we're going to fish it until we see it go in front of like two fish's face and they refuse it then we'll switch it but you know i think a lot of people keep going through and trying different flies and they may not have actually presented it correctly to that fish so we you know we'll, we'll fish a confidence fly until we know we've given a good presentation to that fish and if that fish refuses it once or twice then we'll switch out and sometimes it is a fly and some i mean we we had days like in may when i think they were eating blue crabs and we went through like six different flies and i didn't even have the right fly and my client um had a permit box and he opened it up and had some little um like olive and blue, blue crab merkins and we threw it in front of the fish and the fish ate it right away. So there are those like 5% of it's the cool time It's cool when they do people. that. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of time it's it's it really is that presentation Yeah. or that we're finding the right fish.
0: Yeah, definitely. It it is fun. Like I see that in the winter a lot where you're sitting there trying to play through your flies and figure out what they want to eat. Like yesterday they were eating tiny white things and like but but it is it is cool you know, it's annoying if you haven't caught any, but it is fun when you got to kind of play that game a little bit, figure out the pieces of the puzzle, what they're gonna eat, um, and and crab flies are something I never have on the boat, so that's good, <laughs> good and stressing. It's good to know and stressing me out that I, that, that sometimes that can be the case, but, um, but yeah, I need to I need to find find who makes those spoons. If you figure out? Let me know because I'm gonna grab a couple of those. Yeah. And, and, there, and, and having something with a little flash like that on the fly rod is so nice for blind casting and i don't know about you but in a lot of the scenarios when i end up blind casting fly fishing it's not like oh we're gonna sit there and just blind cast at the bank the whole time but it's like you're working an area and you know that a lot of times there's fish like i might not see them sometimes but i usually mud one off those oysters and it's like put two or three casts there and having a fly that you can confidently like throw and feel like it's covering the water well like that spoon because sometimes like a little tan or a little black fly like you make a couple casts, but you don't feel like it covered the water very well. Um, I think that's one thing we notice and learn from sight fishing with a fly rod is how small a redfish's world becomes in the summertime. It's like it is focusing on the stuff that's like a foot around its face, and that's Mm -hmm. it. That's its whole world. So it's it's kind of intimidating when you get a client on the boat. You're like, oh, man, I love this guy, but this is going to be hard to get that fly foot away from this redfish's face
1: today. (laughs) See if we can do it. I think, you know anglers, one of the questions they ask me a lot of times when they are coming to fish for the first time on fly is they want to know, well, how far do I need to cast? Like what's, what's the average right. cast? And I think they're afraid I'm going to say like 70, 80 feet or something like this. And, and I tell them, I said, honestly, if you can accurately cast at 30 feet, you got a shot at at least half of the fish. I said, we, we rarely hook a redfish more than 50 feet away. Half of them are probably caught between 20 and 40 feet. Yeah. And Quite a few of them are literally caught so close to the boat that you're it pops up and you're trying to figure out how can I get this fly to this fish because he's closer than my rod tip is and I'm like just throw it with your hand and high stick him if you have to like and it really comes down to can you drag it across that dinner plate basically that that fish's face is sitting on he's he's looking in an area like this big and you got to drag it across there because he's most likely he's not going to lunge three or four feet to eat something that's you know the size of your pinky finger
0: for sure for sure that's i mean you couldn't put it any better um it it is funny and there's those 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 certain times where you're like dang that fish saw that from a ways off but it's usually like you can watch when they're eating those shrimp like they're coming down the bank eating grass shrimp or something and there's a hundred shrimp popping around their face like as they're moving and they're just eating that one that's like right off their nose each time you know so uh, yep. they're lazy i think when that water's hot they just want to eat what's easy and there's plenty of bait around so making mm-hmm. it you know making it uh easy for them is important so if you were to explain to somebody sight fishing whether with us with a fly rod or spinning rod for redfish kind of go through how you break it down for a client in the morning that maybe you haven't fished with before like you know this is where you need to land it this is how you want to retrieve that that fly or that lure um you know to take does that make sense kind of what i'm asking
1: yeah, yeah cool. I, I guess but the first thing I tell them is kind of how to how to how to find how to see the redfish, basically. Yeah. You know, because we're going to present a fly to them or a soft plastic or whatever. We're going to try to sight fish a fish and watch them eat. You know, we need to find that fish. So we, we you know we, we talk about mud puffs or smokes yeah. as far as help using that to sight those fish, just to kind of get an idea of where they're in the air. We talk about the difference between a mullet wake and a redfish weight because there's 500 mullet for every one redfish out there. So that, you know, they can start looking through all the chaos and finding that one redfish that's working through there. Um, and then I just basically explain to them where that redfish's zone is, and I, I tell them, honestly, like, your best shot is if that fly is going to come, depend on the clarity of water, anywhere from 12 inches in front of that fish to basically wiping his nose. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's best to not give that fish – a long time to really look at that fly and think about it. It's to give hit that reaction where he's like, I got to eat this right now or I'm going to miss it. And so we talk about angles. So basically, you know, if that fish is going right or left, I tell him to, you know, look at the speed of that fish. And know you want to bring that fly six inches in front of his face. If he's moving fast, we may have to cast 10, 15 feet in front of him and wait. And if he's barely moving, we may only have to cast, You know, it's like leading birds if you're shooting birds. Like, you may only have to cast a foot in front of them because you don't want to wait that long. And I tell them, not just, you know, if that fish is driving down the road, you're not just casting in front of his nose, you're throwing the fly across the street because you want him to see it with one eye and then you want it to cross his path and you want him to see it with the other eye. You don't want to plop it right in front of him and and have it just start moving. You want him to think he found it. So um, we talk about angles. You know, I think that a redfish is a lot more likely if that fly crosses his path Going away from him to eat it, because it's it's the prey and it's supposed to be scared of him. Versus if you strip that fly at an angle and it's coming right at his face, I, I think a lot of times that will shut him down. Yeah. Um, and then you know if you have a fish coming straight at you, we talk about scenario of just casting, you know, leading that fish about a few feet, waiting until that fish gets you know a foot or six inches from it, and stripping that fly and cat mousing it and just keeping it right in front of him to try to get his attention. Um, and then we talk about scenarios if that fish is going away, trying to you know. Cast close enough that fish without throwing a fly line over top of them and spooking them, but that, that's the hardest scenario for me is when a fish yeah. is going away to sight cast that because you're bringing the fly or the lure straight back at them and, and attacking that fish. So we just kind of cover the the bases and you know, the main thing is that I find that most people get anxious and they see the fish and they cast at the fish and basically they're casting to the tail by the time that fly lands and they strip it. So I'd rather somebody cast ten feet in front of a fish and we wait three seconds for that fish to catch up to the to the leader and the fly, then have them cast right at the fish. And by the time the fly is landed, even if they get it ahead of the fish, the fish has passed under the flies, the fly is sinking down. So um, just kind of the import, importance of figuring out how far you need to lead that fish and at what angle to, to basically wipe his nose or just, you know, drag, floss it right across his face just at that right timing so that he thinks that easy opportunity of a meal just came by him and he doesn't have to do any work because there's a million other mullet and crabs around him. You want him to think that's the easy meal. I don't have to exert any energy, uh, give him an offer. He can't refuse type thing.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that is very well put. I'm going to start using, I'm going to steal what you said and start using it because I'm always explaining like, you know, don't just land it in front of them, throw it across their path too. But when you laid it out with like, if you're driving down the street, throw it across the road, Yeah, that just visually for me makes so much more sense. It's a really good way to explain it. Um, what would you say is your retrieve on your fly as well as your spin rod? Like, all right, you've made the good cast. The fish is moving into that zone. Like, what's next? What do I need to do to, like, get that fish to eat it?
1: I, I try to base it on how fast that fish is moving. So if he's moving at a pretty good clip, you know, and, and I tell people also, like, I, I think about redfish as, as being a, a five-speed car. Is he in first gear, second gear, third, fourth, or fifth? If he's in fifth gear, we don't need to cast to him. Or if he goes from first to third to fifth real quick, that fish is spooked. But if we look at a fish and he's just cruising along at a you know, kind of a, a medium speed and he's, he's moving kind of quick, but he looks like he's still willing to eat, we're probably going to strip quicker just to kind of not have him pass over it as quick. So I kind of try to match – I try to find somewhere in between, you know – how fast are the bait fish around there moving, you know, try to match that speed. But also if he's moving quicker, I'll move that fly about the same speed as him. Now, if you've got a fish, you know, the one you want is the one that's not making a weight, the one that's, he's down there hunting, he's working the edge, he's on the edge of the Spartina grass or he's nose down in the oyster shells. Those ones, I'm going to have them slow it down a lot and, and basically have it, you know, think about a crab that's kind of just crawling around in the mud. And it may just be a little, you know, one inch tick, tick, ticks if that fish is moving slow enough that you can keep it in a zone. I, I guess basically just whatever's needed to keep that, that fly on that plate size, that dinner plate size area in front of that fish for as long as possible. Yeah. So if he's cruising fast, it's going to be, you know, six, 12 inch strips, get it across him. hopefully he's going to bam it. And if he's sitting down there looking for a crab or a shrimp in the mud, then let's keep it, in his, in his focus for as long as possible with making just enough movement that he sees that it's actually a one Yeah. <laughs> that yeah.
0: That's good. I mean, I wish I could articulately explain that every, like you just did on the, on the, on the boat every day. Cause it's, it's, it is a tough thing to, it's so, I mean, it comes from experience of seeing that fish and reading that fish and knowing where to put it, uh, knowing how to work it and knowing like You know, if that fish is done, should I move to the next fish? Like, should I, you know, bump, bump a little harder on my strips? There's so many little pieces that come to it, uh, you know, that that, that really just have to flow into your head as you're going. Um, And I always tell people, like, the more fish you see and the more fish you catch, the more fish you're going to see and the more fish you're going to catch. Like, it's this compounding thing that kind of, uh, you know, evolves as you become a better angler. But um, it's, uh, man, I have some, like, this just to remind me I have some uh some things I say as a guide sometimes that that like they're just sucky guiding like real crappy guiding like because you're trying to explain everything super fast when you see a fish yeah. and the worst one that I've got is like all right I've got a fish right here you know and, and I'm and they're up on the bow and they're like where like this could be anywhere um and I'm, I am always end up having to push point with my push pole, but like being able to quickly articulate you know to the person on the bow of the boat where that fish is what they need to be doing not getting too excited because if you get too freaked out and excited, you know, your personal value gets too freaked out and excited. They stop, start casting bad. So, um, uh, do you have any of those little, little things you say by accident oh where you're like, uh,
1: I, I, I just had like a flood of like 10 different thoughts when, when you said that. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, I, I generally tell clients, uh, after I pointed a fish at them or point a fish out and, and you know, if they, if they miss that fish, I'll apologize and say, I wasn't yelling at you. I was just super excited about it. Um, <laughs> I get so stoked and I'll, I'll start basically I'm on the polling platform and I'm, I'm, I'm telling them stuff as fast as my brain would be reacting. If I'm on the casting platform, like, you know, pick it up, go six inches to the left, strip this, it, you know, all this stuff. And it's, I have to remind myself that like they don't, they don't, they may only go fishing once a year right. or twice a year for these fish. And they may have only ever actually put a fly in front of half a dozen or a dozen fish. So, You know, trying to explain it, how they can understand it and articulate it so that they can, you know, so that they can find that fish. I, you know, constantly remind myself that, you know, my three o'clock is different than their three o'clock. Right, right. They're in front of the boat. And, you know, I could see a fish right on my, right beside me. And if I say three o'clock, they're not looking at that fish. I generally tell people if I, you know, if, if I'm talking calm, we've got, you know, explaining where a fish is, we have, plenty of time to present to that fish if i'm kind of speeding up it's probably closer and if i just start grunting like a caveman i go (laughs) that fish is probably about six feet away from us and my brain can't translate what i'm trying to say to you um so i have that stuff all the time where it's, it's it's literally like like my brain is wanting to tell them hey that there's a fish like two foot beside your foot i'm going left I don't, I don't even use a clock face. So I'll be like, left, left, right beside you, right beside you. And they're looking like 20 feet. I'm like, no, right right beside you, right. And they're like, I'm like, look straight down. And the fish just blows out. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Okay, I'm glad that's... that happens to other people too. Oh,
1: all the time. <laughs> all the time.
0: Oh, that's funny. Uh, sometimes I'll notice myself too. Like I'll just be so into like watching what a fish is doing. And I'm like kind of telling them what to do. And then maybe I zone out a little bit just like watching the fish. And I realize like I haven't put the push pole in the mud and the boat's like spinning like backwards and we're <laughs> throwing backwards. At the... I'm like, I'm sorry, that was bad. That was really bad on my part. I just zoned out watching that fish and talking to you. It's like, I'm very ADD, so a lot of times when I'm like giving a lot of instruction, I forget to push pull, to use the push-pull. When yeah. I'm like really trying to move the boat to like set up the shot, I forget to like talk about what needs to be happening. So um, that's the beauty of, I feel like, and the blessing of, Kind of our clientele is you build these relationships with different people that that want to fly fish. Like I think all fly fishing clients that are serious fly fishing clients and fly fishing guides are looking for multiple of these relationships. That's kind of the fun of guiding is getting out there with someone or just of of this type of fishing is getting out there with someone. You you're really starting to understand what each other are seeing, how you're talking, the way you're thinking, the way the boat's getting set up, where the cast is going to be, and then it's like this dance, this like team of people that are catching this fish together, which is so much yeah. fun. Yeah. um uh, me and Alan in Louisiana one time th- this was pretty awesome. If y'all get in a pond at, this coming year in Louisiana, which I still would I want to maybe try to come down there with y'all we'll see yeah if let's we'll, let's figure that out. We'll figure that out um and we we were out we both had the day off and we were down there guiding. And we got up. I might have shared this in the podcast before, but but we were we got up in a pond that was just loaded with like slot fish. I mean, just you, you know how it can be there. It's just like slot fish, slot fish, slot fish all the way down the edge. Uh, and we were like, you know, let's whoever's on the bow, let's close our eyes and just have the person on the back explain where to cast and exactly what to do. And we did it for like two hours. We never caught a fish, but there was when I was instructing Alan, there was quite a few circumstances that he got very close and vice versa. But, man, that made you really focus on what you were saying. Like, it was, we, at the end, we we're like, that's a really good, like, if there's such a yeah. thing as, like, a guide drill, like, get out there and practice your guiding. Um, it, w- it was a really good way to really practice your words and, like, exactly what, what to do and, the sh- you know, talking about this strip and where the fly needs to be. Um, a couple times, we both almost fell off the boat because you're sitting there, like, turning and your eyes are closed. You're not looking. <laughs> uh, but that was pretty fun. Um, that's cool. So this time of year you've got the redfish going on and you're it's crazy we're already kind of almost transitioning into not fall but i mean august is next and then september after that it's like what when do you start to see your patterns of your redfish change up there
1: um yeah it's weird i I saw a thing today that said like today is officially like the supposed to be like the hottest part of the year and we're actually transitioning back to where it's going to get into a cooling period i'm like man summer's already halfway over um Around here, yeah, I know. Around here, um, generally, it's more. So September is probably when I start to really notice a transition in these fish. Yeah. And it's maybe not so much with the switch of the wind, but the first thing I'll notice is I'll see, I'll start seeing fewer fish on the flats that I normally would see, and this could be you know just mud flats, or it could be you know. Floodgrass tailing situations where man like two days ago like there was a pretty good number of tailors and i'm not seeing as many of them and then i look out across on the icw and i just see these 30 foot long schools of mullet just getting rocked down the intercoastal waterway and i think that's generally for me when when the mullets start to group up sometime in september that's when i think the fish move and they you know right now we're mostly seeing single redfish or maybe pairs of redfish in september i'll start to see those fish group up a little bit better and move out and move into those deeper water areas i don't generally fish the docks and things like that as much with what i do guiding um but that is the time of year when i, I would start focusing a little bit less on the flats and, and chasing um in those deeper creeks and, and those channels and, and along the icw where, where i'll start to see those fish moving in. and i think it's you know a month previous to that or a few weeks previous to that the easiest meal for those fish, uh, was to go find some crabs and shrimp on the flat and gorge on it. And then I think when those mullets start to get in those big schools and, and the other bait fish do, I think the redfish realized I can get more food without working as hard now that these mullet are grouped up. If yeah. that makes sense. So that's kind of no, when exactly. I start September.
0: Yeah. And I keep um, saying, what do you see up there? And it is, uh, and then it's so similar to me, but, it, but there is the little differences, um, for sure, but yeah, man, the, it's, and even so, like, you're saying the deep water is like the inlets, the jetties, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that, those, those fish get piled up on them, because it's like, why not if you've got this high-protein, you know, large bait fish that, that they can, yeah. you know, just, if you miss your shot on one school, don't worry, there's another school coming like 15 yards behind that, that they can go after, so, um, what else do you kind of transition to uh, fishing-wise uh, from here on to the fall?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, right now, um, it's until we can actually keep flounder we're not really going to target flounder although we we catch them along with the reds um, and we have um, big big trout like breeder trout that we're seeing on like the eelgrass and shoal grass beds we'll see those through September but when we get into that September thing um, we're still fishing tailors, and but we're starting to get better near shore fishing so yeah. you know we've, we've got pretty good spanish and and, and blues right now near shore Um, But it's going to get even better when you get into September, especially once again when that bait starts to move and you get a few, you know, you get two or three days of a northeast wind and then it goes back to southwest. And then a week later, you get three or four days of a northeast wind. Um, We'll really start looking along the beaches for Spanish mackerel, bluefish, and not just along the beaches, but in the inlets and sometimes even in the ICW. Uh, Those albacore start to pop back up and you get those like small sipper September albacore uh lady fish you know some small jacks so you kind of get that near shore variety um i love september as far as a transition month because you can go hit a big flood tide for tailing fish you know if you get like a, a north wind around here you can go on the flood tide in the morning you can fish for tailors and then you can take your skiff right out the inlet and go catch spanish mackerel and bluefish and maybe some albacore all on the same trip yeah both opportunities so
0: yeah it's cool the diversity that's what i always tell people too the diversity in september and early october is you know is as good as you get around here yeah um you, you kind of get everything in full swing for for that short little window uh, and it can be there's some magical days it's always cool when you can when you can string together like three totally different things in a day of fishing yeah. you're, like, you're always rolling by back man i'm I'm okay at this job, you know? I'm a decent yeah. guy. <laughs> as opposed yeah. to like beating your like, why am I a fishing guy? This sucks. Um, but yeah, that's
1: Judd Jud, if you could if you it, as a guy, if you could pick one month in North Carolina to just fish that same month over and over and over again, or a thirty day period, like what what would that be?
0: Oh man, that's that is such a tough question. Honestly, I would say I would say July or August. On, on the really good days of like belly crawling, ta- pods of tailing redfish like in our river systems, I just yeah. really like that where you're getting shots of like one or three fish belly crawling. And I know I just said I like the diversity, but like my favorite thing is like a fly rod in my hand and or, or someone on the bow with a fly rod in their hand and, and throwing to those those pods of like really shallow belly crawling fish. That's yeah. that's that's my favorite. But I guess if I had to pick one, it, it would probably be. I always tell people when they call and they want to come fish North Carolina like September because because of that diversity and being able to do a bunch. How about you? What what would your your call be?
1: Same thing probably yeah. middle probably middle of September to middle of October because you can still do sight fish redfish. You've got you know all your warm water stuff still here. Uh, you can still go out and fish the wrecks and and do you know kings and yeah. AJs and things like that. And you got albacore starting to show up and the Spanish and blue. It's just near shore is great and inshore's Great too. I, okay. I think it's yeah. September to mid October
0: yeah it's a, it's a good time of year to be here and the weather man that's September start to get a little bit cooler days you're not sweating your face off all day long so uh, well cool man well well thanks for for coming on tell can you if there's is there anything else you want to jump into I didn't we had some other stuff we're gonna to try to talk about We're I'm trying to to kind of cut these at 40 minutes now because I yeah. look at my my algorithm on there and guys if you're listening to this podcast and you're like make them longer um Leave something in the comments on YouTube or on the podcast platforms, but every people just start dropping off at like thirty minutes. I'm trying to jam in real good information. I know we talked about some other stuff, and I would love to have you back on and 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 continue to do some more podcasts. That's kind of what I'm trying to do. Is I'm going to bring on some other rand like randomer guests, like from from further or areas further away, but have like a randomer is not a word, but I just I just yeah, used it totally random. <laughs> um, but. I want to have a, a core group of maybe like 10, 10 of us that I'll kind of just from our co- from the North Carolina coast that I kind of hop back and forth with and definitely would love to have you as, as one of those dudes that we we get back on here some more. Um, but is there anything else you want to you can think of that you want to share before we hop
1: off here? Well, I'll do one quick I guess yeah. one quick tip and it's, you know, and we kind of covered this already, but when people call me to go fishing and this is not this is whether you're coming down here trying to wade on your own, whether you're bringing your John boat down or whether you're fishing with a guide. Um, as far as inshore fishing and sight fishing, if you want to come down here and do it, whether it's on spin or fly, um, I generally tell people that, you know, there's three factors when, when fish sight fishing, these, these redfish and these yeah. other fish shallow. It's your distance, it's your, um, casting speed and your accuracy and distance. I really think is the least importance of it. Like, if you can solidly cast you know 40 or 50 feet you don't need to be a long distance caster to be successful on redfish here accuracy is probably the second most important as far as actually hitting that pie plate but understanding that you're not casting at the fish you're casting where the fish is going to be when he intersects that fly and the most important thing i really think is speed of delivery so getting really good at, at your double haul so that you can one or two false casts or just a roll cast if you can find that fit every fish has got a clock on it whether it's 10 seconds or two seconds from the time you see it if you can put that fly in the water somewhere close to that fish within two or three seconds of seeing them you got 10 times a chance versus if it takes you you know seven or eight false casts and 15 seconds to cast that fish so focus on your your speed of delivery and your accuracy don't worry too much about your distance and and you'll have a good shot at redfish down here. Yeah,
0: for sure, man. I couldn't put that any better. You, you sh- you've also said a lot of little things I'm gonna steal from you and start using on my like guide trips. Like every fish has a clock on it. I like that because that, that is so true. And I'm always like, oh, once you see a fish, you know, you've only got a few sometimes 10, 15 seconds. You know, sometimes two seconds. But every fish has a clock. That's not right. from you. It's a my few thing. I've stole my thanks I've stole a few from you too. So that's okay. <laughs> right on. Right on. Uh, well, cool. Well, tell people if they want to book a trip with you, um, where they can find you and how they meet up with you.
1: Sure. Um, easiest thing to do is it's tailingtideguideservice.com. Um, I'm fishing up out of, out of Swansboro, North Carolina. So all my contact info is up there. Um, Instagram and Facebook, it's all under tailingtide. Um, but yeah, just go to tailingtideguideservice.com and uh, you can look at the pictures and the reports and see if what we're doing is something you're interested in. And if so, we'd we'll love to take you fishing. Heck yeah.
0: Well, man, like I said, thanks so much for coming on. And, guys, thanks for checking out another Eastern Current Fishing Podcast. We will see you all next week. Later.